Welcome back to Concrete Thought. Okay, so this episode is a continuation of last episode where we talked about socialized healthcare. It's been heavily debated in the US whether or not healthcare as a market should be a socialized one like what exists in most developed countries in some form or another, like in Canada, Scandinavian countries, the UK, and so on. Or should the government deregulate the market, leave it to be a free market and this will solve the high prices for medical care and will help raise healthcare access rates, which the US is obviously suffering from. In last episode, we talked about the philosophical or ethical arguments for and against socialized healthcare, whether or not uh, it should be considered a right and so on. So be sure to check out last episode, let me know what you think and if there is anything off about my position. In this episode, however, we'll, we'll get into the economic arguments for and against socialized healthcare. Again, my position on this whole topic is that I'm very much with universal or socialized or whatever you want to call it, healthcare and education for that matter. I think a strong public presence in these two markets is very much an essential thing for the well-being of society, for its stability, so on. So in this episode, I'm going to try and make the case that socialized healthcare is actually more efficient and better, economically speaking, for society, of course, than a combination between free market healthcare and charity for the poor. Okay, so I don't think that any argument is being made against the notion that the US healthcare market is fucking bad as it stands now. So let's get that out of the way. However... The differences between stances come from how should we solve the problems that are within the system right now. For example, that it is expensive as fuck, that a big chunk of the population don't have easy access to important treatments because they can't afford it, whether, you know, out of pocket or insurance wise, that in general access to healthcare in the US is got awful and other problems related to these. Now let's take a look at the conservative right-wing, whatever you want to call them, arguments on how to go about solving these issues. The arguments presented by people such as Steven Crowder, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, I don't know if that's Dave Rubin's stance, but I'm fairly confident that it is, just because of the whole competition we start kicking in meme. <laughs> and th these arguments have been presented fairly often. And these arguments are as follows. Yes, the state of the healthcare in the US is fucked up, but it's because of government intervention. If only we would deregulate the healthcare market and leave it to the forces of supply and demand, competition would start kicking in and prices will drop and everybody will be better off. And in regards to a really poor who can't afford anything, charity is the answer. Basically, this is the free market stance. Now, as an economics graduate, hearing this gives me cancer, honestly. The notion of free markets are the solution la la land that these people advocate for is in theory correct, but it has to follow a big number of assumptions that the market in question has to follow in order to achieve an efficient and perfectly competitive market where both the consumers and suppliers are better off. In reality, however, this isn't the case. Perfect or ideal markets are a fucking rarity in real life. Yes, in a large number of cases, if you deregulate certain markets, they become more efficient, they allocate resources better, competition will start kicking in, 
and inefficient producers will be driven out from the market and prices will drop down and you know the story that is true in certain markets in real life but not all markets have the characteristics of a perfect or ideal market that the free market invisible hand notion has to operate within to achieve the dreamy effects that the free market advocates promise you some markets in real life deviate so much from a perfect market that leaving them to be unregulated and free will not guarantee efficiency will result in market failures happening frequently which might lead to disastrous consequences that might fuck up a whole society at the very least it will not guarantee that prices will drop down and consumers will be better off and spoiler alert here the healthcare market is one of these markets now don't worry if all of these economic terms don't make sense to you i'll explain them as as we go on and i'll also link an amazing article that goes in explaining all of these concepts in a pretty easy way and dives into the health market in detail this amazing article actually is going to be my main source this episode and i urge you to read it in full so you can get why the free health market advocates are not really standing on solid ground at the very least there is a big discussion to have rather than free market is the ultimate solution bullshit that you keep hearing now let's get into why their solution is not at all the best solution for the problems facing the healthcare system in the US. So let's begin with the conditions that a market has to have in order for it to facilitate efficiency and be a perfect or ideal market. The main characteristics of a perfect market have to do with market structure and that being that being defined as the number and size of firms in that said market, how easy it is for new firms to enter the market and old firms to exit from it, this is called barriers to entry and exit. How much are the products of the firms in the market are differentiated from one another and the information available to both buyers and sellers regarding the prices and product characteristics. Now, for the market to be perfect, for efficiency to be completely attainable, the market has to have many firms operating within, none of which is too big to influence the price of the product. So in this market, if a firm tries to raise the price of the product, people would be like, well, fuck that firm, I'm just gonna buy the same product from the many other firms that have lower prices, and eventually the greedy firm will be driven out of business. Another characteristic is that the product of all of those firms should be the same. Another characteristic is that firms can easily and freely enter and exit the market with no restrictions from regulations or costs. This is of course to allow competition to start kicking in, and Dave Rubin's wet dreams be fulfilled. Perfect knowledge of prices and products that buyers and sellers can access with zero costs. And finally, no externalities, which are spillover effects from the market that go unaccounted for. These characteristics are a rarity in real life. Most markets are not really perfect. But the thing is, sometimes it's not an issue. Sometimes a market might have only one firm, which is a monopoly, but the product it's offering is not a necessity. So if it sets its prices too high, people can just be like, well, fuck that product. It's not worth it. I'm just not going to buy it. But when you talk about a product like insulin, for example, if there is a monopoly there, what the fuck are you going to do? Not buy insulin? You'll die. Markets can deviate from these characteristics and still be okay and still have a healthy amount of competition and efficiency. 
But when you have a market that deviates in so many ways from a perfect market, that's when those inefficiencies become a problem. Especially when those inefficiencies would cause people to die. Or in a more general view, destabilize society in a really big way. Okay, so in regards to the healthcare market structure, what goes south? Well, first off, there are enormous barriers to entry and exit. Some of these barriers are related to how fucking expensive it is to open a hospital or a pharma company. The investment that is needed to get into the healthcare market is gigantic to say the least. There are also barriers to entry to become a doctor. You need a big investment into your education and you need licensing to become one. Another barrier of entry is something that is called economies of scale. Basically, large companies tend to develop these economies of scale, which leads them to have lower average production costs than new or smaller firms. This is a basic way of explaining economies of scale. The article goes a bit deeper, so check it out. But anyway, advocates of the free market give you this illusion that the market doesn't already have established and pretty fucking big firms that, you know, we're basically starting fresh. But that's not the case. The already established companies in the market will be able to drive new competition out just by virtue of producing at a lower cost due to economies of scale, something that new companies are simply not able to do. Or if they want to do it, they must pump in an astounding amount of investment to become very big from the start, which again feeds into the barrier of investment that we talked about a second ago. One barrier of entry specific to pharma is patents. A pharma company that invents a new drug gets a patent on that drug, which basically prevents any other company to produce or sell that drug, which makes the pharma company with a patent a monopoly, meaning that they set the prices of a drug however they see fit. No competition, no nothing. Imagine if that drug in question is a necessity. You know, this concept is called price elasticity, which essentially means how much demand would a company lose if it raises its product's price by $1. So if it's a necessity, it will not lose that much demand. So imagine if people can't simply say, well, I'm just not gonna buy it, fuck it. What would we do then? The company would just mark up the price as high as it wants, with no fear that the demand on its product would decrease as they get more greedy. By the way, I love how the go-to argument that someone like Charlie Kirk would go for to demonstrate how competition lowers price is LASIK surgery, you know? The LASIK market has a high price elasticity. LASIK surgery is not a necessity. So if LASIK costs too much, people would be like, well, you know, fuck it. I'm just gonna wear glasses the way I did all my fucking life. Even if LASIK surgery market was only offered by one firm, which is a monopoly, that one firm has to figure out ways to lower the price of the surgery to increase its demand. It's such a disingenuous move to cite LASIK surgery as the example for how the whole healthcare market works. There isn't even a fucking comparison between LASIK surgery and anything that you need to have or else fucking die. Let's get back to the patent issue for a second though, because I heard Charlie Kirk in his debate with Hassan Piker. Charlie wanted to remove patents from the pharma industry. 
obviously Charlie here doesn't have the slightest clue why patents are granted in the first place. Patents are given to companies which discover new drugs because the amount of investment that these companies put in developing that new drug is astounding. Pharma companies are among the highest in R&D investment. The cost of developing a new drug is in the fucking billions. So imagine if a company spends that much money to develop a new drug to cure, I don't know, heart fucking disease only for a competing company to just take their efforts without spending a dime in investment and benefit of their efforts and compete with them on their own drugs demand. Bottom line here is that, without patents, you would not have any kind of R&D in pharma. You would not have research into developing new drugs and new cures because these pharma companies are there for profit. And it would be pointless and actually 100% bad for business if they spend that much money on a new drug that, I don't know, could cure cancer maybe, no matter how beneficial it is for society. But on the other hand, with patents, you give these companies the power to become monopolies and spike the prices up as much as they want. You see the paradox a free pharma market has? Can you guess where the paradox stems from? If you guessed the motive for profit, then bingo. Some arguments that you might hear is that private markets are better at R&D than government. They have a motive for R&D so that they can invent something new and get a comparative advantage against competition. Well, I think we highlighted why that's a problem. But the other thing is, who the fuck said that government R&D doesn't happen? This is, this is coming from US citizens who have NASA. In some cases where a motive for profit is as destructive as it is in pharma industry, it's actually better to have public R&D because the government doesn't care about getting its investment back. The government doesn't have that much of a motive for profit. They're doing so for the betterment of society. NASA is the perfect example. Public R&D in medicine and pharma is another example. The notion that R&D would disappear in, in a public healthcare system is just not true. Let's get back to the healthcare market though. How else does it deviate from a perfect market? Well, there is no many firms, none of which is too big to influence prices bullshit. In rural areas, you might have one hospital. In the city, you might have an oligopoly of hospitals, which range between three to nine hospitals. And the second thing is, in a number of cases, you don't really get to choose the hospital you go to. You might be forced to go to the hospital with high prices just because it's the nearest one. This is called emergency. Even in the private insurance business, the US has an oligopoly. A few companies which have the largest market share and can actually influence the prices to a good extent. One of the most important ways healthcare deviates from normal market is something that is called information asymmetry. Now this is a really big one. The two cases that the article goes into are asymmetry of information between the doctor and the patient and between the consumer and the insurance companies. So in the first case, doctors know more about the illness and treatment more than the patient. When you're sick, you go to the doctor and you tell him what's wrong and he then, as a doctor, treats you according to his knowledge of medicine. You trust the doctor to act in your best interest but you're not really a good judge of whether he's actually acting in your best interest or not. 
there is a problem with endowing the doctor with that kind of information asymmetry because the doctor is also the supplier. He's selling you a service. And if he's driven by profit, he might treat you or diagnose you in a more expensive way than necessary and you're not really in a position to make a rational decision of taking or refusing that service. Because, you know, what the fuck do you know? You're not a doctor. This kind of market failure is called supplier-induced demand. And it's actually empirically demonstrated. The article cites different studies in the subject, one of which is pretty interesting. In that particular Japanese study, they found that as the number of physicians per capita increases, the use of inpatient and outpatient services increased, which implies that as more physicians have to compete with each other, you know, this is the free market, they increased demand for their services by inducing demand from the patients seeking their care. This is only one of the four studies empirically showing the market failure of supplier-induced demand cited by the article. Make sure to check them out for yourself. The other case of information asymmetry is between someone purchasing health insurance and the insurance company. The first market failure caused by this is called adverse selection. So basically the whole deal is this. People who are less healthy have more of an incentive to purchase health insurance than those who are more healthy, which will result in insurance companies paying more, which will cause the insurance companies to raise their premiums to avoid losses, which will further discourage healthy people to purchase insurance because its prices are rising. So the insurance pool keeps getting more and more unhealthy, which will cause more and more losses for insurance companies, which might lead to a disaster at the end. To remedy that, one way is universal coverage. All people should have health insurance, healthy or not. This will solve the issue of adverse selection and lower insurance prices. Can you guess what that's called? Obamacare. Yes, this is what Obamacare was aiming to solve. You can debate the specifics of the plan, but without a doubt, it was aiming at solving a very serious issue, and it was a very good solution at that. Other ways that the health market deviates from a normal market include interdependent demand and supply determination, consumers not being rational and not being able, in case of an emergency, to make rational decisions, in regards to receiving healthcare, the unbelievable amount of externalities go- caused by the healthcare market that go unaccounted for and that makes and that makes the case for taxing or subsidizing the market. For example, subsidizing vaccinations causes more people to become immune to a certain disease, which causes the rest of the population to be safer from that disease. Another way is that not all suppliers are motivated by profit. For example, in 2008, out of the 5,162 hospitals in the US, only 1,072 of them were for profit. Among other things, all of which are mentioned in the article I keep citing, written by Muat Shufi, I'm sorry if I butchered the name, and El Asif, which I'll link for you in the description, and I really do encourage you to read it. It goes in the economics of the issue in a pretty simple way, that anyone can understand regardless of your background in economics. Oh, and I promised you that I will get into the charity is the solution argument. Well, it's 100% not really a good, a good solution. An article written by Caroline McLanahan titled 
is charity the answer to healthcare goes into the issue and she shows that for charity to fund the 50 million uninsured people in the US I think it's now 20 million because of you know Obamacare I think this was yeah this was written in 2012 or 2013 anyway for charity to fund the 50 million uninsured people in the US you would need around 398 billion dollars which means that you would need to direct all current charity which is around 291 billion towards only healthcare and add to that 108 billion per year. She further goes to analyze the effect of getting rid of Medicaid and if actually the US healthcare system becomes as efficient as the other OECD countries. I strongly encourage you to check this article. It's pretty simple and really small actually. In conclusion, the US healthcare system sucks, but making it more free is not the answer. The fact of the matter is, the health market does not follow the assumption a market needs for it to be efficient when set free. The other fact of the matter is almost all developed nations have, a so have some sort of universal coverage or socialized system that performs much better than a free one. So what the fuck is the argument about? Just fucking follow what other developed nations do. You know what? Forget about Norway and Canada and all of these successful healthcare systems. You want to know how successful a healthcare system not aimed at profit can be? Look at, drumroll please, Cuba, out of all countries, has one of the best healthcare markets that is even comparable to the US. Remember when Charlie Kirk told Hassan Piker, do you want to be like Cuba? Well, Charlie, Cuba's healthcare system is fucking good. The country enjoys a 99.9% vaccination rates low infant mortality rates, high life expectancy rates from 78 to 84 years, excellent ability to control epidemics, is an exporter of vaccines, and attracts around 20,000 health tourists annually. Again, all cited in the main article, check it out. You have to be a humorless human being not to appreciate the irony here. I guess what I'm trying to tell you at the end of all of this is, don't fall for the oversimplified and out-of-touch arguments that people like Dave Rubin, Ben Shapiro, Steven Crowder and Charlie Kirk try to tell you. I have no grudge against them, they might, they might as well be right in many of their arguments, but in this one, eh. So always research and understand for yourself and check whether their arguments and mine are sound and valid. Don't let the appeal to your emotions and love for freedom and liberty sway you because these arguments when challenged on their basis tend to fall apart really quickly and at the end of the day you want what's better for your country don't let your emotions blind you and always do your own due diligence because at the very very least these are topics that need a serious scientific and social discussion to be had rather than buying into rat scares and those dumb socialist liptards and lefties arguments Damn, that was a long episode. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it sparked a shred of interest and skepticism in you to go and get deeper into these issues. As always, I've linked the podcast, Twitter and Instagram in the description so you can let me know what you think about my whole position here. And if you want to see more content like this and are interested in supporting this podcast, be sure to check out the Patreon page I've linked in the description as well. 
Thanks a lot for listening. And as always, I'll see you next Tuesday.